you're ready to take your leadership to the next level, you're in the right place. This is the Think on Purpose podcast, and I'm your host, Jen Fry. Let's dive in. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I have an amazing guest today. I have my friend, my colleague, Robin Kiesler here with me. And she is an identity and self-discovery coach for leaders and entrepreneurs. And what I love about Robin and you are about to hear is how real she is. And one of the things that we were talking about right before we started recording is this idea of taking leadership off the pedestal. I've said it on this podcast before. When you become a leader, you are signing up to set yourself apart from the pack. You are signing up on purpose for discomfort. And I want to have Robin tell her story. So Robin, tell us a little bit about what exactly does that mean to take leadership off the pedestal? Yeah, 100%. To me, uh, leadership, taking leadership off the pedestal means to really allow us to be a little bit more honest about what that what it means to be a leader um and i think i think it's it's great to talk about some of the like you said the discomfort the parts of it where it's like listen it's not all it's cracked up to be but for me even beyond that the reason that i want to take leadership off the pedestal is because i i believe that that each and every one of us in this world are really called to be leaders and I think when we see leadership as this hierarchical thing where it's like that person up in the white tower, you know, with all the the stuff and things, all these external signs of success. And, and when we when we identify and define leadership that way, I think people self-select themselves out of that and say, not me, but I'm not a leader. And I think it's important to have these conversations about what does it mean when we talk about leadership? Because yeah, sure, there are people that are in institutional roles of leadership, right? Like in a company or in an organization, and they're there to make sure a job gets done or things like that. But there's such a, a bigger and broader and I believe more important definition of what it means to be a leader. And I think when people are put in leadership roles, quote unquote, by a company or something like that, and they do not have a heart-centered leadership that they have mastered for themselves and a personal leadership, I don't think they're going to be as effective. And again, like I said, the biggest reason I really want to take it off the pedestal is because I, w- I would love to see a world where we all start owning that role in our yeah, families. I love that. So, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. It's like, I'm not waiting for someone to give me the title and then I can be a leader. It's like, be a leader first. Totally. Yeah, it's like embody that, embody that presence, embody that. And what did say again? Heart centered. Is that what you call it? Yeah, I think just like heart centered leadership, right? And it's like that idea. It's like, because again, to me, I mean, when you are willing to have joy in the face of hardship, like that is a quality of leadership, undeniably. And I think it's one of the most powerful qualities of leader, right? When you know what it means to love fiercely, to love yourself through failure and and through all the the shadow sides of yourself that that most people don't love like when you can show up for love for yourself that way like you are without a question um being an example to your children to your family to other people that you know what it's okay to love yourself this way and yeah. i think that's an example of leadership yeah go ahead do you have an example of um like of seeing yourself in that way like how do you, what did you have to get over? What did you have to, 
um, I don't know, consider, redefine, have an identity shift in, in order to see yourself in that way, in order to love that shadow side of yourself? Oh, (laughs) well, I mean, to be honest, I think I went there kicking and screaming. (laughs) Like I, I, I think I, I discovered that journey, um, through trial and error and nothing else working. And I think I had tried to shame myself. I tried to buffer it away. I tried to eat and drink and sex and drugs it away. I tried to um, to get enough degrees, you know, one degree, two degrees. I tried to, you know, work in government offices and school districts. I became a critical care flight paramedic. If I made enough money, if my Facebook and my travel, you know, page looked exciting enough, then maybe I would be able to love myself or feel worthy, right? So I think I... I just tried every other thing, perfectionism, success, achievement, you know, numbing, and like none of it worked. And then at the very end of that long road came this thing called radical acceptance. (laughs) And that was was the last resort, huh? That's it. (laughs) That's the answer. I just surrendered. And what did that look like for you to surrender? Um, Yeah, great question. I think what that looked like for me was, I mean, it was really just, I don't know if it was like saying these words literally, but it was, um, what I did literally was I started looking for help, asking for help, getting support, right? And so um, I found life coaching, right? So it, what it looked like was seeking right? Seeking that answer. It's one of the things, you know, when I coach people, that's one of the qualities that I look for is, you know, and and that I love so much about working with people is you can tell when you, when there's a seeker, right? When their heart is open and they're, they're hungry and they're looking and they're searching and they're ready. And that was really where I was. Yeah, go ahead. Is that because they've tried everything else? (laughs) Sometimes, maybe so. I don't know. Why, yeah, but it's like you we, can why do we why do we do that to ourselves? Why do we like go through all the things? Like all the the alcohol or the addiction or the and it's not even necessarily like you know a, a, a diagnosis addiction. Yeah, right. I think but, it's all the same. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a, a lot of reasons. Um I think some of that, like especially with the food, alcohol, cigarettes, things like that. Um, I think there's a lot of chemical reasons, right? So just to notice that like, and especially with food, like as somebody, you know, that has had profound, um, profoundly painful relationships with food through, you know, binge eating a disorder and things like that, things that were um, felt very out of control, but it was again, the thing that I went to, that was my drug. It was my food Valium, you know, that made me feel better. And, um, but to, to realizing just that a, you know, big food, big pharma in this country is a thing. That is a conversation, right? Like they literally hire food scientists to like put shit in those Doritos that make it more, that make it addictive, truly. Like, right. Mm-hmm. You know, we, they've done studies on this stuff and sugar and high fructose corn syrup, like that stuff is powerfully addictive, like more than cocaine. Right. And so, so there's that piece just to understand that the world in this, particularly our government that we live in, I won't speak for other countries, but like here, our food sourcing and stuff is not good. (laughs) And it's really, um, and so it is created to make you crave more, right? They put like MSGs and stuff in there. So there's those types of components, I think, that are a part of it when it comes to food and things. Um, Like, why is it so addictive? Why do we go to that so quickly? It's like, you get this 
massive when you eat that stuff, massive dump of dopamine and, and chemicals that are feel-good hormones. So it is that immediate relief. Like, so it makes sense. Like, of course your body is going to be like, Hey, that Snickers bar really worked that like felt good for a second. So your brain's going to remember that and want it again. So it's going to create that urge and that desire for it when things get hard. So that makes sense. I think the other thing beyond like, you know, you could, we could talk about the chemical hormonal, you know, stuff, but there's also other layers to it of like, you know, I think society and the way that the messages that we receive, right. About what's okay and what's not okay. Um, and I think there are certain behaviors that get really, that get rewarded in our society, right? Like people pleasing is one of them. Um, and so I think there are certain things like that, that make it easier for us to follow those paths. Right. Um, and I think there, I can't remember what the original question was now. Cause my ADD brain like went off the trails, but <laughs> that, no, that's okay. That you answered it. So it's like, so the, the question is, why do we do it? Well, mm. because there's some cultural conditioning. There's some yeah. like actual chemistry with food additives right. and things like that. There's what we've been taught. There's the ease of access. It's what we've always done. So our brain totally. likes to repeat things. Our brain likes to do what we've always done. And I, I just want to point out to listeners, I love so much that you say like it makes sense because for everybody out there who's like, what is wrong with me? Why can't yeah. I get this under control? What's the problem? Like there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. Right. Like there's nothing wrong with you at all. And if you're feeling like you're in the spin cycle, if you're feeling like you're ready to like move out of that pattern, then this is the way. And yeah. particularly if you're a leader, if you're in that leadership space and you have that extra dimension of like pressure or expectation. Yeah. And I think that's part of the shadow side of leadership is the, if you, if you have that expectation of what you should look like as a leader, yes. which you kind of mentioned at the beginning. And that totally ties in, like you said, like, why is it like that cultural conditioning? Like, I think we are so culturally conditioned to... To, towards shame as a tool, right? And like hiding or it's like, it's not, we're so culturally conditioned to be like, that part of you is not okay. That part's not socially acceptable. You need to hide that part. See, this is the part. See that person that's succeeding and how everyone loves them. That's who you need to, to uh, emulate. That's who you need mm -hmm. to copy. That's who you need to go be. And so go, go try to change yourself so that you fit that little box and then everything will be good. And those ugly parts, just hide those away. Well, and again, I, I just love how you normalize things. Like everybody has something that they don't like about themselves. Everybody has those little pieces of shame or discomfort or like, like cringe that are inside of them. And I, I just think it helps to know that that is such part, like part of the human experience. Yeah. So one of the things that I've heard you say is that success triggers you more than failure or heartbreak. Mm. Can you tell us about a success that you've had that brought on this negative emotion or like this shadow idea? Yeah. Yeah. A couple. I mean, um, most recently, honestly, getting hired on with the life coach school was like a big one for me because it was such an identity shift and I didn't expect it. It really surprised me because I have been a part of the community for so long, like as a client and coaching and everything and going through the hiring process was like, I don't know, nine months or something. It took a It wasn't like anything happened fast. And I've been coaching as a coach for years now, like not, nothing was really new. You know what I mean? I'm like gone through certification. Like I know these concepts, like 
it felt like such a natural thing on the one hand, but then on the other hand, I was like, whoa, what's happening? Like, right. And I, and it shocked me how I was like, there was this part of me that was like, I don't belong here. Like, Mm. and it was, you know, and so it's like, I, and it took me a little bit while to like kind of uncover that, but I was like, oh, I really respect these coaches like profoundly, truly. Like I think the life coach school coaches are some of the best coaches in the, in the, in the world, really. Like, I think that they um, are just super well-trained. They hold that neutral space. Like I've brought them some stuff. I'm like, listen, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, how do they do that? Like, that's amazing. Right. And so, um, I just think there's a lot. And I think the life coach school has a lot of prestige, right. And there it's, it's just, I don't know, just something about this, this entity, if you will, where I had put it up on a pedestal and I didn't quite realize that I had done that, but because I had done that, right? Like we're talking about putting leadership on a pedestal. I had put those leaders on a pedestal. And so then when I got invited into that space, even though I saw it coming, I was like, when it happened, something in my brain went, you don't belong there. Mm. You're not one of them. I can think of, um, I, I, I had a job where almost every day I had that thought, like, I don't belong here. Someone else would be better suited for this role. And then very closely followed was like, and they're going to find out, like, they're all going to know that they've made a huge mistake. And then what? Totally. And so it's like that, it's like that fake confidence that I'm just Mm going to go in every day and make it seem like I know what's going on and I know what the answers are. And the truth is I did have answers and I did know what was going on, but the way I approached things, because I always felt like I had to be improving energy what wasn't even my true self, wasn't my like authentic leadership. Mm, I love that. What did you notice in how you showed up for this role when you were in that shadow space? Um, like for the, for my coaching and stuff. Yeah. I, um, well, I think it was kind of 50, 50, right? Like, especially that first month. Cause like you said, it was like, they're going to find out, like, I don't belong. There's all that stuff. It was just, and it was odd. So it was like, there was the, there was the conscious part of my brain, right? The analytical part. And then there was the unconscious part, which kind of brings me back again to what we were talking about maybe before we hit record about like the, the work that I do with coaches around identity stuff, because this is something that comes up a lot when I get people that come through and want coaching, especially on business stuff, when they're like making, you know, a million dollars, $2 million, $5 million. I coached somebody the other day was like in her multi-million dollar business. And she's like, I'm so financially successful. And she's like, and these, there's all this stuff that intellectually doesn't make any sense to me because I know how successful I am. But on the, down here on the inside, like there's some part of me that feels like I am completely incompetent. Right. Mm-hmm. She's like, that's odd. That doesn't compute. Right. So it's the unconscious mind. It's the unconscious. Go ahead. Peace. Yeah. No, I was just thinking when you said that it's, it reminds me of when you were talking about like the buffering, right. Overeating, over drinking, overworking, over exercising, overing in any capacity. Like maybe I get some good results. Maybe I'm super fit or maybe I'm a millionaire or whatever. So everything doesn't, everything that we're doing to avoid our inner truth, to avoid that shadow side, isn't necessarily looking 
like we'll call it negative on the outside. No, it serves you. That's why society, that's why the cultural, those things we talked about earlier, that's why it can be so hard when you said, why is radical self-love? Why is this worthiness, this acceptance? Why is that the last work we do? And this is why this is so much of the work I do with my clients now, because I'm like, yeah, because society doesn't celebrate that. You're supposed to shame yourself. You're supposed to work hard. You're supposed to prove yourself, right? I get nasty emails from people because I talk so much about radical self-love and personal healing. And they're like, how dare you tell people like, this is so irresponsible of you, right? How dare you just, you know, show up and just, oh, I'm, I just love myself though through all these things because they cannot compute. They cannot imagine a world where accountability and love can coexist. They so think- is that is that what's on the other side of the shadow? Um, yeah, well, I think for me, so like, you know, I think what the sh- what's so beautiful about the shadow is that it's it's calling you home to yourself, right? So like when you ask like how did that meet how did you show up in that space when you noticed that kind of that triggering starting to happen for you? So it was the same thing. Intellectually, I'm like this is crazy. I've been a coach for however many years. I've done this for, you know, 3 or 4 years. I'm amazing as a life coach school coach. I know these concepts like this is intellectually doesn't make sense, but there was something unconscious that was being triggered. And it was a very old belief system. And it was from that 10, 11, 12-year-old girl that just right had that rejection wounding and that didn't feel like she belonged. And so for whatever reason, so when I stepped into that, that new identity, it was just an official role. It was something I had already been for a while because that's how manifestation works, right? You, you become the thing first and then it happens in the world. So I had already become the thing, but then when it happened in the external world, it's like something kind of triggered that and was like, whoa, hold on a second. This, but there's still that old identity deeply buried that says I'm a loser. So how's this happening? So that when that gets triggered, the work I had to do was understand that this isn't doesn't make conscious sense, but there's a part inside of me that needs to be nurtured. So I had to go in and do that that unconscious work of of healing those those old wounds and in in bringing that old identity kind of up to speed with the new. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I don't know if I got off track there for a little bit. Yeah, it sounds like right, like there's a separation of like like something outside of me now that now that it's recognized outside of me now that there's a title now that there's something else which yeah. we would maybe call leadership mm-hmm. there like something is disconnected something has been fragmented and i need to like go in and see what's going on and totally. like reconnect myself yeah and in order for people to step into those leadership roles so that they can make the difference in the world i think that's what they need to do oftentimes that's what needs to be done with that with that idea of leadership, like we said, taking it off the pedestal for a minute, because as long as you're putting it up on a pedestal, it's like a lot of times we use that as a way to um, to kind of disconnect ourselves from it. Like, that's not me though. And it's like, so I think being able to take it off the pedestal and really redefine what leadership means and a, like in a way that can allow you to step into that, I think um, can really do a lot of good in the world because we all have a message to share and we all have a story and we all have gifts. And when we're allowing ourselves to opt out of the leadership role, and like you said, because it does come with discomfort. So maybe there's some unconscious region where people are like, I don't want to do that. I don't want that responsibility. But I think we all have that responsibility. And so when we when we really redefine that and allow leadership to be something that's simply like, in my opinion, a leader is someone who's willing to I think there's a lot of definitions, but a leader is somebody who's willing to to speak what needs to be spoken, to say the truth to themselves and to other people. A leader is someone who's willing to do what needs to be done, 
right? And that doesn't make excuses and doesn't say, I don't know how, right? A leader is someone that doesn't play the victim. They get up and they go create their life and they choose joy even in hard situations and they choose love even when it's hard and they they lean into the hard thing and they and they show other people a pathway to do the same thing. And like I've said a thousand times, like that can just be as simple as, you know, being willing to take care of yourself, even when your kids are going through something hard, like you're modeling to them what love looks like. And I think that's a radical act of leadership. And I love that so much because it's, it could be a couple different directions, right? Like there's leadership going outward into the world of how am I leading my team or how am I leading my family or my church or wherever I'm showing up in the world as a leader, regardless of the title. Yeah. But then there's also the self-leadership aspect of I'm leading myself with love. I'm leading myself with connection. I'm leading myself through the grief and I'm holding space for the joy. There's like so much duality of emotion that I think a lot of people have never learned or shut off or um, like don't even realize is possible. Totally. And I don't think, and I think when it comes to these more traditional ideas of leadership, like in, you know, in a, with a role or a title or people fall, it's like, I think to be put in that role of leadership before you've learned the other is a, is a powerful um, disservice to you and to other people. And so that's why I think it's so important to kind of dismantle that idea and to allow people to self-identify and take ownership of those leadership roles in their personal life and where, where meeting them wherever they're at right now, you have a leadership role that's open to you. And the more you, you learn to embrace that and really master that and get better at that and own that, the more capacity you will have to be effective in these other more external roles that we so mm. often think about. Yeah. So powerful that there, there's a leadership role just waiting for you. Yeah. The only thing that's missing is you just haven't claimed it. Totally. Yeah. That's really, I, I think that's like that that's worth mentioning and just like giving people pause. Like what is the role that is just waiting for you? Where's that gap that only you can fill? And noticing why are you afraid of it? Because I was. When people would refer to them that way or talk, they look, oh, you're such a leader in this or that. I was like, we need more leaders like you. It made me deeply uncomfortable. I was like, oh, I don't know. No, no, that's not me. Right. And so I noticed that. So that's the work that I, having kind of gone through these last six or eight months um, and noticing my resistance to that and really doing that work of exploring it. I really felt that what what I uncovered and in having talked to other people about this too, I was like, wow, I think there's something here to talk about because if I'm doing this, for sure other people are too. And that sucks because the world needs us. Yes. Love it. So Robin, um, tell us quickly about the summit that you are creating for May and then where can people find you? Absolutely. Yeah. So the summit that we are running, it's open right now. Um, it's called the Shadow Side Leadership Summit. And there's really two parts to this summit. There's a podcast series um, that's happening all through the month of May, um, which Jen is a part of and all these other coaches. And so the first part is um, we're just simply having these conversations just like we are right now around leadership, identity, and also talking about mental health, right? And how can we support ourselves and own those parts of ourselves that we sometimes hide away, right? The shame parts or the fear parts or whatever they are. Um, because when we do that, right, that, that is not contributing to what I would call a good mental health, um, structure. So we're going to talk, we're talking about all of that. And then the other thing that you can do is if you, if this conversation, um, feels important to you, go ahead and hop over to the website 
for the summit. And that website is simply shadowsideleadershipsummit.com. We're going to really give you all some amazing support throughout this month. So go register and that's what that's that's what that's up. <laughs> Love it. Perfect. Everything will be link- linked in the show notes. Robin, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Yes. You dropped some incredible wisdom for us and such a good reminder. We are all in this together and there is nothing wrong when you feel like there's part of you that you want to hide or you're having those thoughts like, I'm not a leader, or you go home and eat the Doritos or the gummy bears or whatever. Nothing wrong with you. Having a perfectly normal human experience and there is support and a way to come back to center, come back to your true self. Yeah. Nothing wrong with you at all. It's normal human brain. That's just what we do. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks so much, Robin. You're welcome. Hey, don't forget to like and follow me on Instagram at jen.fry.coaching, where we share more tips, more personal stories, and continue our journey to think on purpose. And if you like today's episode, click those three dots and share it with a friend.